Welcome to Life Week, right to Life of Michigan's bi-weekly podcast going in-depth on pro-life news and issues. I'm your host, Chris Gast, RLM's Director of Communication and Education. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Well, we don't have a feature for you today. Uh, we didn't have a feature for you two weeks. We took a little bit of a break off from the podcast because there has been so much going on, and we're just going to simply cover that today. Uh, in the last podcast, we left you with a cliffhanger with the latest bill dealing with health care and defunding Planned Parenthood take shape. Well, it didn't take shape, so uh, we're going to get to that special feature where we talk about the funding streams of Planned Parenthood, the in-depth um, look at where they actually get their money, not just a big number from the uh, federal government of half a billion dollars. So we're going to get to that hopefully in two weeks, but today we're just going to cover all the things that went on, uh, both very good and uh, very tragic. So uh, let's start right in. Um, uh, well, let's start with the tragic first. Uh, Chris McDonald, Christine McDonald was the long, long time, almost 20 years uh, in our office in uh, Wyandotte, our uh, Wayne County Educational Resource Center in the Downriver area. Passed away on uh, October 1st, which was Respect Life Sunday. She was a, I was her supervisor. She was a special lady. Uh, she was always um, happy to get things done, always happy to reach out in the community, uh, willing to talk to anybody. Um, we had joked in the podcast many, many moons ago that she had called that Trump election because she saw all the downriver uh, sort of Reagan Democrat voters around her voting for him. Um, so she she was dialed into her community very well. And um, thankfully she passed away peacefully. It was actually her last thing, as we mentioned. Uh, there's an obituary in our blog. Uh, it's from the, you can find on the front of our webpage, rtl.org. Uh, the last thing that she did was host an open house for life chain participants in her area. So uh, helping them out, and then she went home and took a nap and uh, never woke up. So very, very sad. Uh, her funeral was uh, a few a few days ago. I would say maybe a couple of weeks. It's been a blur. It's been a busy time here in the office. But uh, but uh, here we're just remembering uh, the wonderful impact that Chris had. And in many ways, she's irreplaceable. couple of uh, positive stories. Uh, before we get to those, uh, we'll set up the first positive story with an interesting article in Cosmo, of all places. Cosmopolitan, of course, uh, if you've gone to the grocery store and been in the checkout line and you're bored and you're not sure what you want to do, no doubt you've seen Cosmo. Um, but they wrote an article a few weeks ago talking about us actually. Uh, it went specifically into detail about the Flint water crisis. And the hook of this article was that pro-lifers stink because we didn't fix the Flint water crisis. Well, um, it, now that we're a couple weeks away from the writing of this article, it was at the end of September, um, I can report to you that the, uh, the, the real reason that this uh, pro-abortion writer... Jill Filipovich, I think it's Filipovich, maybe Filipovic, I'm not sure how she pronounces it, but 
because I've only ever uh, read her in print. But she has a uh, she found a study that said that um, a lot of uh, infant mortality, or excuse me, um, still uh, stillbirths and miscarriages occurred because of the Flint water crisis, the lead in the water in Flint. Well, we found out a few weeks later that the studies that she using was using to criticize us actually wasn't very well done, and so she didn't really have a point to begin with. But her broader point is that uh, it's one the pro-life movement frequently hears, is why you like people to be alive, why aren't you involved in, uh, in this case, environmental and en- en- issues, or civil engineering in this case, or... Uh, gun control, or um, the death penalty, which which some pro-lifers are, or social security, or all manner of sort of issues. And the common thread is, well, because the pro-life movement doesn't talk about every issue there is out there, you must therefore not really care. And so you're just obsessed with, usually you're obsessed with uh, sex, or controlling women, or some other uh, truly sinister and villainous plot that we are hatching every day here in the uh, office. Well, uh, again, the story uh, didn't have a lot of merit in the first place. We weren't involved in the Flint water crisis simply because what do we know about civil engineering? We're not civil engineers. We are not government officials. We're not elected officials in Flint. We're not elected officials uh, on the state level, we're not the Michigan Department of Environmental Quality. We're not the Environmental Protection Agency. We're not the Attorney General of the state of Michigan. And so we really have nothing to add to the Flint water situation. Now, as it happens, pro-lifers actually did help out. Uh, there was a story, if you remember, that uh, Ted Cruz traveled to Flint to supply the pro-life pregnancy centers in town with free water to hand out to residents. And what happened to Ted Cruz? Do you think that abortion supporters said, hey, well, look at that. He did the upstanding thing. He's going out there to actually help women and children. No, they didn't do that. Um, of course, they criticized him. How dare you pro-lifers help? Uh, I think they criticized him specifically because he was uh, helping the pro-life agencies out. He wasn't helping everyone out. So even even when pro-life people help individuals, the hardcore abortion supporters are still going to be mad about uh, mad about it because the issue's not, um, you know, the issue's not the Flint water crisis or any other issues. The issue is abortion, and they don't want to talk about it, and so they're going to find a reason to criticize us no matter what we do. And that feeds right into our next story, uh, and this was a shocking story that you've probably no doubt heard and has gotten international attention. A woman we'll call Tiffany. Uh, was a she lives in Florida and she was applying for aid for uh, herself and her eight-year-old son, and uh, didn't think anything of it. Well, it turned out that her son was conceived in rape. Tiffany had, when she was twelve, uh, had been kidnapped by an eighteen-year-old man and raped, and that uh, rape resulted in a pregnancy. And uh, Tiffany decided uh, courageously to give her life to her son, and they uh, have been together for eight years, kept her son, which uh, actually most um, women who are pregnant following assault actually do is is keep the children. They don't give them up for adoption. It kind of mirrors the um, overall statistics about women um, in crisis pregnancies uh, or just in general uh, giving children up for adoption. And so... um, you know, there shouldn't be anything to it. Her uh, her rapist uh, kind of got off a little bit. Well, got off a lot, really. 
Um, he was convicted of attempted criminal sexual, third degree criminal sexual conduct when in fact he kidnapped and raped her. So that's getting off a lot actually. Um, but that, uh, that rapist has also has another, uh, conviction that he has, uh, for again, criminal sexual conduct. And so from her point of view, uh, he didn't really get the punishment he deserved, but he was out of her life for a long time. Well, a judge and a prosecutor in Sanilac County, uh, as soon as she asked for that aid, it triggered a search in Michigan for uh, paternity to see about garnishing you know, some of his wages for child support. And uh, they found the rapist. But for whatever reason, the judge and the prosecutor just sleepwalked through the issue and gave her rapist joint legal custody and parenting time over her son out of state for I don't know how long they lived out of state but it's been eight years and it just shocked people and it shouldn't happen it should never have gotten to that in the first place and in particular because of our rape survivor child custody act Uh, and just in 2016 we updated our law to specify that uh, you don't have to just have a conviction uh, of rape in order to terminate a rapist's parental rights in the situation where a child is conceived in rape. If the mother can prove uh, using a clear and convincing uh, evidence standard in a court, which is the same used for, say, child abuse or neglect in custody situations, then, then they can terminate the parental rights because a rape conviction has, of course, any conviction or criminal conviction has a higher standard. It is beyond a reasonable doubt, which is higher than clear and convincing evidence. And so it's harder to get those sorts of convictions. And as we know from Shauna's story in our Compassion Project ads and our Life Uninvited uh, documentary, that her rapist used uh, the custody issue as a uh, bargaining chip in order to get her to drop the charges. So our law, we put there to fix it, and we thought we had it fixed. But as is so often the case when it comes to pro-life issues, uh, it's the government officials who are responsible for executing uh, these laws so often fail to follow through, either out of ignorance or malevolence. Uh, In this case... you know, you would have to assume it was gross ignorance. How, why any prosecutor or judge in their right mind would give parenting time to a convicted sex offender. Uh, actually, one part of the story that got missed because you know no one likes to give credit to the pro-life organization, and and we weren't out there uh, bragging maybe as much as we could because you know again we're a classy organization. But um, Tiffany called us originally when she found out that this had happened to her. She called us to find out what was the law, what's happening, what can I do? And we connected her with Rebecca Kiesling, who is, of course, a very well-known uh, pro-life speaker, but she's also a attorney. And, of course, uh, Rebecca Kiesling is conceived in rape, and so and she has a her organization, Save the One, where they work with many other um, uh, men and women who are conceived in rape, uh, rape survivors, um, Rape survivors had abortions. Rape survivors who have had, uh, you know, gave birth to their children and have and have kept them or given up for adoption. Uh, Rebecca's seen it all. She's been there and done that. And so she was the perfect person to give Tiffany to to make sure that Tiffany uh, was heard in that courtroom. And she definitely was. 
So uh, the judge, uh, after a media firestorm, um, which was a very needed firestorm, because let's be honest, if that judge and prosecutor slept walk, uh, gosh, I won't even attempt the grammar on that one, could just be like zombies just sleepwalking through the case, um, why would they possibly care now that she had uh, been challenging them? And so uh, it was really crucial to get that story out there in the public, and that ensured that Tiffany got the hearing that she needed. And so the judge reversed her case, and we just found out yesterday that the prosecutor who badly botched it has been fired. And so these are all positive developments. And so her life is going to move forward, and she's going to, you know, well, her son is not going to have to face, uh, you know, uh, you know, custody issues with uh, her, you know, her rapist. But you know, you can't take back the fact that she gave, uh, well, the, the, you know, the judge and the prosecutors uh, totally, totally inexcusable actions gave this mother's address, Tiffany's address, to the rapist uh, down the floor. And that's something you just can't take back. And so Tiffany still has a road in front of her. Uh, it's completely unnecessary. But, and here's where we get the hook from the, the previous story I talked about. The pro-abortion news website Rewire wrote an article slamming Rebecca Kiesling for taking the case. Um it, it tried to walk a fine line by being complimentary to Kiesling for winning the case, but um, it completely slammed her and accused Rebecca Kiesling of making the case more about uh, her and the issue of abortion than um, the mother's situation, which wasn't the case at all. Uh, you know, it's 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 really really bad, and. Um, you know, and this is why that story, you can read about it on our blog. We talk more about the article and what it said. But this is the really important reason that article was dead wrong. You know, the mother in this case, Tiffany, called us asking for help. She didn't call Rewire. You know, Rewire holds itself as uh, the champion for justice and women's health. And those crazy, nutty pro-lifers over there hate women and want to subjugate them, etc. But Tiffany called us. And why did she do that? Because Tiffany knew that we would have the answers. Well, I, I'm hoping she knew. I'm, she obviously thought we might know, but um, we had we'd have the answers, and we'd be able to provide help, and we were able to do that. And we had a law in place to protect her. So the first person that came to mind to us was Rebecca Kiesling, and that's who we gave Tiffany to. Uh, and Rebecca didn't, uh, you know, seek out the case, but she jumped at the chance uh, to represent her pro bono for free. And she generated the media coverage because it was absolutely necessary to make sure that prosecutor and judge uh, knew that there would be consequences if they continued to sleepwalk through the case. And so, um, you know, just like we talked about with the Flint water crisis before and Ted Cruz, uh, pro-lifers are damned if we do and damned if we don't. Uh, when we aren't helping women and children in the perception of the abortion movement, we, it's because we hate women and children, really, and we're just trying to subjugate women. And then when we actually do help women and children uh, in these situations, then the, they criticize us as uh, still not caring about the women and children and just trying to make it about us and, and whatnot. And so, you know, not everyone who supports abortion is like that, but when it comes to the hardcore abortion supporters, nothing that we can say or do is ever going to convince them that we are nice people because ultimately um, they're all in for abortion and we are all in for ending it. And that's just the way that situation is.
one more little aspect of the story I did want to talk about. Uh, a lot of this week I, I spent reading and trying to correct uh, media stories about this whole issue. Uh, a lot of the media completely got the story wrong about our Rape Survivor Child Custody Act. Uh, a legislator, actually, um, who wasn't really aware of what she was doing, tried to introduce a bill that would really messed up our Rape Survivor Child Custody Act, but uh, media reported that as the way to solve it, uh, while completely ignoring we already have a law in the books. Uh, not a lot of media reported that um, we were the ones that connected Rebecca with her. Uh, again, you know, not that we want to be um, bragging about it, but, you know, the idea that pro-lifers actually go out of our way to help women or even women um, who have been attacked, you know, sexual assault, uh, is just unconscionable to them that deep down pro-lifers might not be horrible villains. And so it keeps me busy, I suppose. Uh, just frustrating that so many people don't read things. Uh, reporters don't read things. I know they're busy. But they need to read things. They're the ones that are supposed to read it. Judges and prosecutors need to read <laughs> and, and understand what they're doing. Um, legislators need to read what they're introducing and read laws they're changing. And, uh, you know, this isn't difficult. It takes, we have this beautiful thing, this beautiful thing called the internet and search engines. And it doesn't take long to read it. But people just jump through without doing the due diligence. And that frustrates me. And that leads us into our next story. Michael Roth is the infamous car trunk abortionist who was caught uh, back in 2015 with the bodies of aborted babies in the trunk of his car. Um, you know, when we had you know last talked, he was being suspended. Uh, his medical license has been suspended. And now we're happy to report that he has pled guilty to three felonies. Well, I should say he pled no contest to three felonies. And so he will be convicted of those three felonies. There'll be a sentencing hearing in December. And hopefully that'll be the end of his long and sordid career. Uh, if just looking at the many, 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 many violations that Roth has been engaged in, um, besides this current thing with car, you know, the car trunk abortions, where really he was providing at-home abortions, he had been providing at-home abortions before. He'd been accused by staff of illegal late-term abortion, falsifying medical records, uh, operating a shoddy clinic, um, botched abortions, you know, and legislators uh, for a long time, you know, back in the early part of the uh, state, just did nothing about these regulations. And we finally got these regulations, but then the state bureaucrats you know, don't give a rip about making sure that these abortion clinics follow rules. You know, if your local Taco Bell has the improper uh, proportion of soap to water in their sinks, you can read about that online for any any restaurant. But when it comes to a place providing surgical procedures, and this guy was allowed to operate for years, for two decades, with all these violations... Um, it's just ridiculous. So it's satisfying that he's finally being held accountable and it should be the end of his career uh, in Michigan. But, you know, in the past, felonies haven't stopped abortionists from practicing in Michigan. And so we'll keep you updated. He still is facing seven other charges beyond the three that he uh, pled no contest for in another court in another county. And uh, we'll keep you up to date on that. But uh, one more abortionist behind bars. That's a good thing. All right, the last story I wanted to talk about 
again, a story of people not doing their due diligence and, and just reading something. You know, this isn't hard, people. Just read. Um, this was a case in Oakland County. A mother has, well, it's a little different because uh, the mother of a child uh, didn't want her child to have receive a certain vaccine. And her father, uh, the child's father, and the, who had divorced, uh, disagrees. And so in those situations, it has to go to court, and they have to sort out who's in the right, the mother or the father, uh, based on the best interest of the child. And so we don't want to get into that. But the reason, uh, that part of the issue, but the mother objected to this particular vaccine because it was produced using tissue from an aborted baby. And that's absolutely true. You know, uh, this is not some sort of uh, feverish uh, internet story circulating um, where someone just made it up. I mean, this is this is absolutely true and easily verifiable for anyone with the benefit of a search engine. And uh, this this mom is seeking out our help uh, again, get the information out there to kind of protect her in the court hearing, uh, because people should have a conscientious right to object to using these vaccines. Now, um, we don't really take a position on uh, a vaccine created using aborted tissue. Uh, whether or not you should take it, um, that's up to you to decide, but we certainly believe people should have a right to object. And so that's what the mom is hoping to uh, do in court. And the really maddening part about it was a doctor was quoted in the news coverage of this case as saying that no, vaccines aren't made with aborted tissue at all. Uh, well, <laughs> just read, you know, how, how do we know that these uh, certain vaccines were created using aborted tissue? Well, you look on the FDA package insert. It's like looking on the ingredients, um, you know, on, on, on a food item. It's not difficult. Yeah, the FDA package insert's a little long, and we understand that doctors are so busy. They're so busy. But if you're going to be called as a source in a media story uh, using your medical opinion, don't you think you should, like, check first before maybe talking about it? Just a just a thought, you know. Um, it's in the FDA package insert. It says exactly what cell line was used to create these vaccines. And using a simple search online, you can find out the origin of these cell lines, uh, particularly for uh, vaccines approved for... Uh, used currently in the in the United States, uh, it's cell lines uh, WI38 and MRC5, um, and you know again, go to our website rtl.org. There's full information on that list of vaccines, full information of where we got information on the cell lines. All the information is there for anyone to find with a simple internet search. If you're in Michigan and you type in abortion and vaccines, we're the one of the top internet uh, hits on Google, uh, search hits. And so this pediatrician gave their opinion based on nothing. Not based on the medical expertise, because you would assume that medical expertise would involve some study of the development of these vaccines originally, uh, Leonard Hayflick's work with these cell lines. Um, and, and maybe they you know, maybe they did study that, and no one in medical school explained it to him. But uh, if you're going to comment on it, just, just take a moment and just read the insert on what's in the vaccines from the FDA. This information is out there and publicly available for a reason. But so many people, lawyers, doctors, judges, reporters, legislators, you can't count on any person to actually read something before they open their mouth on it.
So if I sound a little frustrated talking to you here today, it's because I am. Because so often, people just don't read something. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not Albert Einstein. I am not a medical doctor. I am not a lawyer. I'm not a member of any bar association. I'm not an elected official. I'm not a policymaker. But I can read. And that should be enough in many of these cases. And I know people are busy, but I'm extremely busy too. I'm so busy I couldn't even get the podcast out to you two weeks ago. But I have time to take just five minutes before talking about something to do a little research to see if there's something there. And so um, we'll, we'll see what happens in the Oakland uh, vaccine case. Uh, the judge, you know, um, might or you know, rule for the father, might rule for the mother. We'll keep you updated, but. You know, when when someone makes a claim, uh, even if it sounds a little dubious, you know, take a little time and research it. Maybe it's true. Uh, if someone makes a claim, don't just automatically assume it's true. If if a legis if your reporter and legislator says to you, my bill's going to do this, but it doesn't actually do that, you know, if you just check and see what the bill says within thirty seconds, you can you can prove that to be the case. So. Uh, that's that's the, that's your moral lesson moving forward. Besides, you know, please protect unborn children. Um, please read. Please read. And on that positive, cheery note for the weekend, that's all we have for this edition of Life Beat. Join us again for two weeks where, time permitting, and people reading things properly permitting, we'll be able to talk to you about that uh, funding streams from Planned Parenthood and give you an in-depth look uh, so you know not just that they get the money but how they get it and it'll give you a good picture of just how influential they are and how many things they have their tentacles into. All right, thanks for listening. Give me a chance to vent and tune in again in two weeks. Enjoy your weekend.